Okay. Let's start with a prayer. Thank you, God, for the chance to uh, spend some time looking uh, in a more in-depth way than we're used to, perhaps, at um, the Old Testament, at the amazing things that you've done through history. God, you've given us everything we could need. Father, I pray that you help us to um, learn from you, God, to take the word in and let it transform our lives, to give us inspiration. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And God, we want to uh, get this news out there. Help us to be diligent because we're really busy. And uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're starting a new class. And we have a textbook. Actually, we have two textbooks. Uh, it's my fault that they're not here. I, I put in the order last Friday, which was kind of late. So one of the two textbooks didn't get here. Okay, But one of them uh, is from Shadow to Reality. That's easy to find. Huh? Yeah, I wrote that one. So here we go. I'll just pass a bunch of these out. Five, ten. I think I have enough. Uh, they sent me, I'm supposed to get 30, they sent me 15 instead of 30, so I kicked in a few of the ones that I had sitting around, so I think we have enough for everybody to get a copy, pretty sure anyway, what do you have, six people over here, six, you already got one, five, if we already have one, if you already have one, don't take it I guess, why have the church spend money that is not necessary, all right, great, shout out to reality, Okay, and another book is highly recommended, uh, uh, but I, um, no, 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 uh, it's the book by Roland Monke, um, by the way, um, LA did its version of this class uh, last December, and they had a, a, a Church of Christ, uh, you know, preaching school guy, a professor do a presentation, and in my opinion, Roland's was e- Roland's stuff is even better than that Church of Christ professor. Well, Come on. So this is Into the Psalms. Uh, I've got copies. However, I, I'm not planning on having the church pay for them. So I'll give you a discount. I don't know what I had to pay. It's 13 bucks. I'll try to I may sell you for 10 bucks. So, you know. So um, just that's here. Uh, I, I do think uh, to to kind of get the Psalms. You probably need a little bit of help. Uh, here's the syllabus. I believe I passed it out as an e-copy, but it's, I don't know, having a hard copy seems like a great idea. Love hard copy. So here's the yeah. syllabus. All right. Uh, a few things there. Uh, first of all, course description, whatever, all this overview stuff. That's just what administrators want to have in course outlines. Uh, the two texts for the course are uh, Carol Kaminsky, the casket empty. All right. And uh, I did a fair amount of research here. I was thinking of using Doug's book, a, a brief survey, but that is an Old and New Testament survey. A little bit, I, I would, shallow is not the right word, but uh, it, it's just not, not enough material. And so this is a book that's been used by the, by the Rocky Mountain School of Ministry and others. So, uh, by the way, I have not even read it. I don't even have a copy of it. It's in the mail. It was shipped on Tuesday. I thought it might get here by today. So I'm going to be reading this book. 
All right, and then the other one is from Shadow to Reality. Uh, again, you see Roland's book mentioned there. I've got half a dozen copies. Hopefully, they'll sell out because you are taking this stuff, you know, really seriously. All right, and I'll, I'll order some more. Uh, Doug's book is good, but, you know, I don't want to overwhelm you with too much reading. I think if you read the casket empty, probably there won't be much need for, uh, maybe, probably for reading that book in addition. Uh, a more in-depth Old Testament survey that I've, I've looked at is uh, uh, Gleason Archer. If, if, if I was doing like, a, like a, say, um, a regular three-unit course, the casket empty would be not in-depth enough. Gleason Archer is probably the one that I would use. Okay, now the, the assignments here. I don't know what your homework's going to be, okay? Now, I thought about doing a paper. I thought, now, why should we just do a paper just because you're always supposed to do a paper? So we're going to do something different here. Uh, so uh, you're going to be asked to read the two texts, obviously. And we're going to have quizzes. And this class has a ton of information. Honestly, the hermeneutics class, the amount of information was actually fairly small. I mean, when you really get right down to it, there's a bunch of rules, and really, why even bother to memorize the rules anyway? I mean, seriously, you just have to understand them. Uh, so, but this class, there's just going to be a lot of information, honestly. You know, things to learn, facts and all that. So we're going to have, you know, quizzes every week. And then the final will include both an open book and a closed book part. All right, for, and you'll see some of the stuff even in today's class, the kinds of things I'm going to want you to know. Are you going to be required to know every single thing that we ever mentioned ever? You know, probably not. So I have to help you out a little bit to know how to review for these tests. All right. Now, instead of doing a paper, we're going to be preparing lessons. Okay, got it? So that's going to be your assignment. Your assignment is going to be prepare three different lessons from the Old Testament, uh, from three different books. Although you don't have to necessarily do a book. You can do a topic that would bring in more than one book. Okay, got it? They should come from a different literary types. So, for example, maybe one from a historical book, maybe one from the Pentateuch, sort of, a, 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 you know, that kind of thing, and maybe one from a, from a prophet or a wisdom literature. So basically three different lessons from three different genres. We'll talk about the genres today. All right, and, and, um, and then... Uh, the, the other assignment is at least to present one of those three lessons. So one of them you're going to have to pick so that you can use it in your ministry in one way or another. And then we want uh, somebody else to critique it, all right? So you're going to present it and you're going to, to give me that lesson and then your critique of yourself and the other person who's there, you can choose anybody, I guess, to also do a critique. And the critique would not necessarily be on how awesome your presentation was, you know, how great a preacher you were, but more like the, the quality from the perspective of, you know, the, the in-depth of the teaching and, you know, kind of bringing out the meaning and, and, that, and, and, you know, presenting the Old Testament and these kinds of things. Got it? So uh, three lessons, only one of which you have to actually give in a public setting. And this course is going to run quite a bit longer. This is, in fact, this is the longest course of the entire sequence of all the courses. Four sessions, two months. So you, so you figure you'll have a month after this course. And so sometime in the next three months. So you've got a lot of time to plan this out. Pick your topic. Prepare the one. Yeah. There's three lessons. Do we turn in? Yes, you're going to turn in all three lessons, as well as your critique and the other person's critique of the one that you presented. Gotcha. 
Uh, you don't have to present all three. Some of you may not have enough opportunities to present that many lessons. You know, it, it kind of depends on your situation. Okay, got it? Does that make sense? So I think this might actually be less work than writing a paper, possibly. That's not why I'm doing it. I just think that this material lends itself better in that way. Okay, for example, when we have our paper on apologetics, we'll be writing a paper for sure. Church history, writing a paper for sure. Okay, got it? Any questions about the course? A couple other books that I want to mention. Actually, this might be my favorite uh, Old Testament survey book. It's Tom Albright's book. He's a Church of Christ guy. It's not general enough, uh, but it's a thematic uh, uh, Old Testament survey, He Loves Forever, basically about finding God's love for us throughout the Old Testament. So, you know, just something to pick up eventually. I think I might have a couple extra copies. And then there's good old Doug Jacoby's Foundation for the Faith. I mean, because he, he's got a, like a, I don't know, 10 or 12 hour MTP class. Uh, don't listen to that because you I'm just kidding. But, uh, but actually, uh, this would be a really nice outline to have available. Also, uh, my notes and my PowerPoint are at my website. Uh, the audio will be there as well. Uh, you know, Morgan missed the class. She listened to it. She, you know, she's sending a great example. Now, having a baby, could that have been an excuse to not do? No. no yes, it could have been. And she didn't make it an excuse. I appreciate that. By the way, uh, we did this class, I think, something like five or six years ago. Uh, we did about a nine or ten hour version. This is a 12 hour version, a little bit more in depth. And uh, so when we did it, I had some fellow teachers, Robert Carrillo did a little bit, Mark Wilkinson, Pedro Figueroa. Well, I guess that was six years ago. Wow, it's hard to believe that was six years yeah. ago. So that's why those names are there. I was going to just change it, have it just be my name, but that seemed kind of like, that's not even honest almost. Because <laughs> although the, the teaching will be me, a lot of the PowerPoints will go... <coughs> go <coughs> from those brothers. Anyway, I'm a little bit sick. All right, great. So there's the required reading. There are some suggestions. Uh, Tom Albright's book is not in the, uh, in the, um, in the uh, syllabus, but that's there. Great. So let's talk about, yeah. So on course assignments, says the required reading is those two books. Hmm? It says here it's a brief overview of the Bible. Oh, did I not change that? Ah. Uh. I changed it. I just, okay. that's an old version. So the is the yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm, I apologize. That's, that's pretty bad. I did update that thing. I just printed the old version. Sorry, what are they? Oh, it's, go back. you don't have it yet, so you don't have to re- worry so about it. That's for sure. There you go. Right there. Yeah. The casket empty, which uh, presumably um, I'll have next time we meet. Okay, got it. Thank you. All right. And that's, that's your... You know, Old Testament survey text, and, and then from Shadow to Reality is kind of bringing the Old Testament and New Testament connections in. I'll be talking a lot about stuff that's in that book from Shadow to Reality as we're teaching. Okay, great. Sorry about that. That's kind of an embarrassing mistake there. All right. <coughs> so, what's the Bible about? Well, the Bible, it's overall, is about God wanting to have a relationship with us. And basically, the Old Testament is how God is essentially preparing that opportunity. And the New Testament is about the revelation of that opportunity to have that kind of relationship with God that we lost in the garden. All right. And uh, so the, the whole Bible is pointing in the same direction. 
Now let's talk about the Old Testament just a little bit. All right, uh, the, the Jews divide the Bible, uh, the Old Testament, differently than they do. They, they use the word Tanakh, and that's because the T and the N and the K are the Hebrew words for the three parts of the Bible. Uh, the T, you, you, I'm sure you've heard of the word Torah, because mm, yes. isn't there a movie Torah, Torah, Torah? Right? You know. <laughs> uh, okay. That's different. I don't know what Torah means. It's a Japanese word for we're coming to get you or something like that. Right? Pearl Harbor, right? Torah, Torah, Torah. But anyway, never mind. Uh, the Torah, the Torah is the first five books. And, and you should understand the Jews would look at the Old Testament a little bit differently than they, than we would. The Jews would give those first five books priority. Hmm. Uh, you know, and to us, from a Western perspective, you know what? Either it's inspired or it's not, so it's all equal. Uh, but the, the Jews wouldn't have seen it that way. They would have seen the Torah as kind of the central core of the Bible. And then they would have seen the Nevi'im, the, the prophets, as the kind of the second level of Scripture. And then they would have looked at the writings as the third level. Now, wait a minute, how could you have different levels if it's all inspired? Well, just try to think of it from a Jewish perspective. So if they would look at the Torah first, probably we should consider uh, doing that as well. Maybe you could think of, maybe from a New Testament perspective, maybe you'd say the Gospels are the kind of the core of the New Testament. All right, maybe you could think of it that way. So, uh, so the first five books, that's easy to figure out, the the Torah. Then there are the prophets. But the content of the prophets aren't what you expect. What would be what good book to be in the prophets? Judges. Uh, no, that wouldn't be a good book. I, I know, but you're, you're messing me up by not going along with my point. All right. Jeremiah, all right. Isaiah, all right. Uh, so for reasons that are a bit obscure to me, the prophets included Joshua, Judges, all right, and, and then the twelve. And, and, and by the way, they only had 22 books instead of our 37. Uh, that, this is unimportant sort of fact kind of stuff that I'm not going to even test you on. So the 12 made up one book. First and Second Kings made up one book. First and Second Chronicles made one book. First and Second Samuel made up one book. And I believe uh, Ezra, Nehemiah also made up one book. Things like that. It's, that's not that important really, but... Uh, Ruth, Ruth would be, uh, where is Ruth? Ruth probably is in the writings. I believe it is in the writings. Uh, so the writings would be um, sort of that third level, if you will. But interestingly, Daniel is in the writings, not in the prophets. And one reason is Daniel was not a prophet from the Jewish perspective. In fact, if you've seen my book, Daniel, Prophet to the Nations, I make the point that he's a prophet, but he's not a prophet. Because who did Daniel speak to? The Babylonians. It, you know, he didn't say, thus says the Lord to the Jews. So it's kind of interesting that Daniel finds itself in the, in the writings. And then, uh, strangely enough, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings are in the prophets. First and Second Chronicles are in the writings. That might be because First and Second Chronicles were written quite a bit later. First and Second Chronicles were probably written uh, after the captivity, all right, quite a bit later. They're, they come from a fairly different perspective. 
from a perspective of Judah as opposed to uh, 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 Israel. We'll get to that when, when it's time. Uh, it's interesting. In Luke 11.51, uh, Jesus says, From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, whom you murdered. All right? All right, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah. Well, it turns out uh, that this is not the same Zechariah as in, you know, in the minor prophets. Zechariah is a prophet who was murdered, and that's in Second Chronicles 24. And in the Jewish Bible, Second Chronicles is the last book in the Bible. So when he says from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, he's saying from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, the whole time. So that, that's kind of interesting. Now, these facts, I'm not, this, you know, how important are these facts? The fact that the Jewish books are counted differently in a different order and the, the separation between the law, the prophets, and the writings. Uh, you know, although Jesus does say, I'm going to fulfill all, all the things spoken about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So in that case, he's saying in the whole Old Testament. So uh, this kind of stuff which I think a lot of Old Testament survey make a lot of big deal out of. I don't know. I'm not sure how important these divisions are, but now you know about it. Okay, great. Because I want to get into the Bible, you know. So uh, one time, this was several years ago, probably about eight or nine years ago, I was uh, getting with Mark Wilkinson for uh, bagels at Einstein's. He said, John, are you ready to teach your class? I said, what class? You're teaching Old Testament survey. When? Uh, Two hours from now. All right. So how much time do I have to teach the Old Testament survey? He said, 45 minutes. Okay. All right. And then he said, do you have a PowerPoint? <laughs> so uh, so I had to do the whole Old Testament in 45 minutes. Amen. And I, I, a PowerPoint was kind of hard to we come up with. You, yeah, yeah. So, so I'm glad we got some time here. All right. So we're going to uh, organize the material as follows. Genesis. In fact, this is as far as we'll get today. There's 37 books, and you're only going to cover uh, one of them on the first day. Well, yeah, that's exactly what's going to happen. Uh, the, old, the Genesis is kind of the introduction, not just to the Old Testament, but to the whole Bible. And it really sets the stage. So that's probably what's going to happen. And then Moses and the law probably will spend almost our entire second class on, you know, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I mean, maybe not, but close. And, and then we're going to you know, kind of do the whole history thing, Joshua through Second Samuel, uh, you know, uh, Judges, United Kingdom, Divided Kingdom, Exile and Post-Exile. All right, so we're going to kind of cruise through those things. And what we're going to do is we're going to kind of pull some of the prophets in when appropriate. And then we're going to spend some time doing the prophets. Uh, probably, I'm probably going to pick one of the prophets and kind of do a, a mini study of just that book. Probably we'll do that as part of this class. And then we'll have a section on the wisdom literature. So that's the outline of the class. Okay. All right. Uh, so themes in the Old Testament. Now, now we're getting to stuff that might show up on the quiz. All right. Might show up on the quiz. So, oh, I see him taking notes. Okay, good. And I suggest, even though these notes are available um, at the website, at my website, uh, I suggest taking notes anyway. I, I think the process of taking notes kind of helps you to focus your mind on what's important there. But if you can't keep up, it's okay, because the notes are all going to be available somewhere else. All right, so here we go. Theme number one, the Messiah is coming. Ooh. 
Okay? In fact, if you go to John 5, I believe it's 39, Jesus said, you guys missed the whole point of the Old Testament, which is me. Wow. So, and, and I'm going to focus in on this one theme, uh, maybe more than any other of the themes of the Old Testament. So basically, in the Old Testament, we meet Jesus. In so many ways, it's kind of crazy. And that's one of the reasons that I'm having you read from Shadow to Reality as part of the course. Amen. All right. And then number two related to this is basically the entire Old Testament is a story. And it's pretty amazing. If you have, say, 35, 40 different writers, how you could have a single united story from a bunch of people who lived as much as 15 centuries apart from one another. But it is a story. In fact, in the book of Genesis, we're going to see the outline of that story. We're going to see that story presented. So it's a story of God choosing a people, a person, a people, a place, a covenant, giving them a covenant, sending the prophets through whom to send the Messiah. So you can see point two and point one are pretty closely related in Old Testament themes. Number three, God wants to bless his people. Now, the way it's going to work throughout the Old Testament is God's trying to give his people physical blessings. Now, also spiritual blessings, but you have to kind of train yourself to look at the Old Testament through Old Testament eyes and then kind of turn it into uh, uh, New Testament eyes. For example, uh, in our Bible talk on Tuesday, we did a lesson from Jeremiah, I think it's 30... I'm sorry, Isaiah 36 and 37, where Sennacherib is attacking Jerusalem. And I asked them, in this story, who's Sennacherib? And they all got it. He's Satan. I mean, there's the the whole picture here. There's the physical thing that happened, but God's trying to create a story through a physical set of events that's telling a spiritual story for us. And, and it's us. And we're being attacked by Satan. And you, you can just see, you can just mark down, these are Satan's means of attack. He does this, he does this, he does this, he does this, and he does this. And that's exactly what Sennacherib and his commander do. So, uh, so God wants to bless his people. And if, especially in Deuteronomy, you're going to see this. We're going to spend a fair amount of time, Deuteronomy 27 through 30. And you can see God saying, you know, blessings or curses, right? Blessings or curses. And most of those blessings and curses involve physical things. And the analogy for us is going to be a spiritual thing. So the bottom line is, one of the things the Old Testament is God wants to bless you. God desperately, desperately wants to bless us. And we have a couple of parents here and we have some new moms and and, and they're they're feeling, and the dad too, they're feeling for their kid. And I I, I just look at Mally, she just gets this smile. It's like, that's how God feels about us. And so that's one of the themes. You know, a lot of people think the Old Testament, the judgment and laws and rules, that is just a bunch of garbage. That is so, now it does have judgment. So does the New Testament. That's one of the themes. All right, but God wants to bless us. So grace, grace is an unending, constant, repeating, returning theme every single place in the Old Testament. Number four is the call to repentance. 
In fact, arguably, almost all the prophets, their main, their main uh, point of every sermon was repent. So apparently, we need to hear lessons about repentance. Amen. And so if you're not really open to repenting, just stay out of the Old Testament pretty much. <laughs> probably the New Testament as well. But I think the theme of repentance comes up probably more in the Old Testament than in the New. I don't think the theme of grace comes up more or less in the Old or the New. But I think the theme of repentance is emphasized, I would say, probably more in the Old Testament even in the New Testament. Then uh, God's patience. I mean, you know, you can see that in, in the New Testament, you know, Jesus says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and, you know, how, you know, how long do we have to put up with you, and, you know, and, and all this sort of stuff. But the theme of God's patience, God's patience is insane. His patience is beyond ridiculous. Now, there's his judgment, all right? There's his judgment. There's his judgment, but... Uh, so uh, one of the things I want you to notice again and again and again and again is his patience. And then as you're in the ministry, guess what you need to learn? Patience. 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 Come on. Let's do it. patience. All right, next is judgment. Now, it, it, like I said, in our Bible group, we're kind of different from other Bible groups. We do this, we tend to just read a book and kind of just study the whole book out from beginning to end, you know? And so we've been doing Isaiah, and it's like, oh man, you know, there's a lot of judgment in there. I mean, there's judgment against Edom, judgment against Moab, judgment against God's people. And the bottom line is, although the Old Testament is overwhelming in its message of grace and love and patience and blessing, it's overwhelming in its message of judgment. All right, and I, th- I think we need to sit in that seat. We need to absorb that. We need to be willing to put that in our lessons more than we have. All right. Now, it's, what we're doing with Isaiah is if we did all the judgment chapters, I mean, nobody would come back to our meetings. You know what I'm saying? So, so what we did, what uh, Carlos and I decided to do is we're going to do the judgment chapters that are judgment on God's people. And the other judgment chapters on judgment on the other people, we'll skip those chapters. So now we're down to almost two to one blessing and curses, all right, which is about the level that we thought our people could handle, honestly. But our, our reasoning on this is, but see, those are the judgment chapters that are intended for, for God's people, you know what I'm saying? And so probably if we skip those judgment chapters, the ones that were intended for us to read, then we wouldn't even be doing a proper treatment of the book of Isaiah. So that, that's our plan. So if you... If you are uncomfortable with with judgment? Everybody raise their hand because we all are. Um, uh, Too bad. Too bad because you're going to be hearing about judgment. Okay. It's an unmistakable major theme. Salvation and forgiveness. All right. Which really connects back to point number one and point number two. And another theme... Uh, one theme that's almost completely unique to the Old Testament and is it's not missing from the New Testament. I mean, in Acts chapter 7, you know, uh, Stephen talks about that. But one theme that is a large theme in the Old Testament, which is relatively not there in the New Testament, is God working through history. Yeah. 
God working through history. Because remember, the Old Testament is a story. All right, so those are the themes. All right, so I can imagine a quiz for, uh, you know, two weeks from today, uh, you know, give me, I don't know, four of the themes or something like that. Okay? Now, another way, basically what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Old Testament several different ways. All right, I've got several different outlines here. So one is the outline of our course, how we're going to divide it out. It's a, a sort of a topical sort of outline in a sense. Another one is based on themes. And another one is historical. I, I want you to have this timeline. Yeah. In fact, I would say by the time this course is over, I, I could imagine having a question, draw a timeline okay. and, and put the different books in the Bible in the right order and, and, and these kinds of things. Nice. Be able to describe the patriarchal, the... The, 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 the time in Egypt, the, the, the um, escape and wanderings, the judges, the United Kingdom, divided kingdom, all that stuff. All right. So um, now this this is a historical outline thematic of the whole Old Testament. So there's the fall. All right. Actually, it could do uh, creation first and then the fall. And then God chooses a man and then God creates a people. And God gives them a covenant and he gives them a place and a temple and he sends his prophets and he sends his son. All right, I admit I pulled in the, the New Testament at the last point. So if you think of the Old Testament as a story, this is another way to outline the Old Testament. It, it does point out the, the central role of Genesis and also of the Pentateuch in the Old Testament, as, as you see. But I believe this is sort of a... Uh, th- this is looking at the Old Testament as a revealed story of God's uh, working uh, in, in the world. Okay? Uh, another way to do it is to do a historical uh, outline in, in a more of a the normal historical approach, which is sort of historical epochs, if you will. So we'll have the patriarchal period... Some people would put the primeval before the patriarchal. And so you could have the primeval being uh, Genesis 1 through 11. Uh, I, I, I don't see a lot of purpose to having a separate distinction there, but you know, whatever. So we've got the patriarchal period, uh, which would be a, a period of time where God is primarily speaking to people through male heads of households, essentially. Uh, primarily, this is a means of communicating with his people, through people even like Job, but wasn't Jewish. All right, uh, Abraham and others. And the period that followed that, obviously, is captivity in Egypt uh, for 430 years. Escape and conquest, that's a fairly short period of, of just over 40 years. Then the period of the judges, united kingdom, divided kingdom. All right, now what we probably should do is put some time frames on this. And I believe we're going to do that. Uh, oh, no, no, we don't. It's in the notes. All right. Uh, so the time frame on this. OK, uh, where is that? So. So you have the creation. When, when did that happen? Hmm? All right. Thank you. Yeah. All right. We uh, basically uh, through the, it, it, the, the the primeval time through Genesis 11, you can't really put a time frame on that. These are prehistorical, or as one person said, proto-historical, uh, through 
basically the Tower of Babel. Once you leave the Tower of Babel and you enter Genesis chapter 12, then we're entering a period where we can start giving dates. Uh, Abraham lived from roughly, roughly 2050 B.C. to maybe 1900, 1850 B.C., somewhere in there. All right, and then you have uh, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. Joseph is going down to Egypt eh, around 1800 B.C. We, I don't expect you to memorize the dates, but I expect you to certainly know the order and kind of maybe very broadly the dates. And, and so, and then you had the captivity, which either ended uh, in 1280 B.C. or around 1410 B.C. I take the more conservative position, which is that the captivity ended in the 1400, roughly just before 1400 B.C. I don't care if you agree with me. It doesn't even matter to me at all. Uh, that's, that's not an important thing to worry about. All right, for what it's worth. All right, and, and if that's true, then the period of the judges starts, you know, 1380, you know, somewhere in there. And it lasts for uh, around 350 years or so. Either that or the period of Judges lasted around 280 or so years. All right. And so uh, now we're in the promised land of the United Kingdom. Uh, Basically, Saul took the throne around 1040 B.C. Saul took the throne around 1040 B.C. David took his place. A little bit before 1000 BC, he ruled to around 960 BC. And then we have uh, Solomon, who ruled to around 930 BC. Uh, and then you have the, that's the period of the United Kingdom, which went through his son Rehoboam. And Rehoboam uh, did not take the advice of, of the older and more mature people in his life. So Jeroboam comes in, we have the period of the, of the divided kingdom. We have Ephraim or Samaria. Or Israel, it's got three different names, can be very confusing. Ephraim, Ephraim is is one of the half tribes. Do you know about those half tribes? How many tribes were there? Well, 13, 13 tribes. Because uh, Joseph is so important, two of his sons each become a tribe. That's Ephraim and Manasseh. And uh, Samaria, which was the capital of the northern kingdom, was in the territory of Ephraim. Ephraim became the dominant tribe of the northern kingdom. So the northern kingdom is sometimes known as Ephraim, sometimes known as Samaria, which was the capital. And I'll probably call it Israel more often than Samaria or Ephraim. It's the northern kingdom. And uh, we'll get to this, but this is a period where the the rulers of the northern kingdom were worshiping. It's very, very ungodly. There are a few righteous people. And in fact, when Elijah says there's none left, God says, well, I've got a few. You know, I've got a few there. All right, and this is a period um, when a lot of the prophets were active. Isaiah, also Elijah and Elisha. All right, so that's the United Kingdom, a uh, divided kingdom. All right, and then, of course, um, Assyria came in, destroyed the northern kingdom in 722 B.C. And so there's a period of about 140 years where only Judah is left. The northern kingdom has been taken into captivity. And those tribes, you know those ten lost tribes? You know those ten lost tribes? 
There are no ten lost tribes. That's a bunch of baloney. Because the fact is, there were four tribes left behind in the southern kingdom. There was Judah and Benjamin, but also Simeon. Most of Simeon was in the southern kingdom. And where do you think the Levites spent their time? Do you think they were in the northern kingdom where they're worshiping Baal or the southern kingdom where they could actually have a temple? So the whole ten tribes being lost thing, that's, that's a bunch of nonsense that people throw out there, but whatever. All right, so then we have the period of the uh, divided kingdom. And you could say divided kingdom and then just the southern kingdom. You could have a separate thing. And then what happens is, as prophesied in great detail in Deuteronomy 28 and 29, because of, of their ungodly behavior, uh, they're taken into captivity. And, and Jeremiah said it would be 70 years. And sure enough, it was exactly 70 years. So they're brought... Hmm? Yeah, Jeremiah had it exact. Uh, Daniel was reading Jeremiah. It had been about 68. And he said, all right, dude, not dude. He's talking to God. He's saying, God, let's get going here. And sure enough. And then you have the restoration to Judea where there's no longer a king. All right. And you have um, all that stuff. Okay, great. So that's our... And then another way to view the Old Testament is through the idea of covenant. So there's the covenant... Uh, with Abraham, there's the covenant with Noah, all right, Genesis 9. There's the covenant with Abraham, Genesis 17. There's the covenant with Moses. That's the most famous covenant, obviously. Wow. Exodus 24. The covenant with David, which was actually a personal covenant to David himself and his family, that you'll never fail to have somebody on the throne. And then, of course, there's the new covenant, which was prophesied in Jeremiah 31. So another uh, way of look, looking at the Old Testament is through those five covenants. You might want to be aware of those five covenants. Yeah. Um, I know the covenant with Adam is, is briefly mentioned. I think Hosea. Um, is that recognized? Or? Uh, yeah, you know, uh, you, you could add to that list if, if you want to. If you want to say there was a, I mean, there was a covenant with right. Adam, uh, you know. But it's not as grand and- um, you know, I, I don't I don't put it on my list because um, I mean covenant as in God is saying this is how I'm going to work with my people that's that's how I see it okay. but you know if you want to list that as a sixth covenant feel free all right right not just with the Jews thank you thank you all right good. Uh, and then another way to look at the Old Testament is through um, events. So you could have periods or you could look at events. All right. And uh, you, I want you to be aware of the events. And for example, I could give you a list of events and ask you to put them in the proper order. Come on, John. That's not a really hard question, probably. All right. Creation, flood, choice of Abraham, escape from Egypt, kingship of David, Destruction of the northern kingdom, destruction of the southern kingdom, and restoration. So these are like key events. These are like the day of the Lord. These are God intervening in history to make something happen. Mm. God doesn't intervene in history just because he's having a bad day or because he's uh, you know had nothing better to do. God intervenes in history only quite rarely and only for a very definite purpose. And each of these interventions were about God achieving his ultimate aim, which is to take care of the problem that got started in Genesis chapter 3.
So it, the, the way I think about it is uh, history is kind of like our personal life and it's kind of like the whole predestination thing. Generally, God lets things work their way out. I mean, God's not changing the light green so you can get to work on time. He does not decide who's going to get elected. In, you know, he does not he does not do these kinds of things. But every once in a while, he intervenes in history quite directly. So he chooses Cyrus and he sends Cyrus. He even chooses Sennacherib. It's crazy. You can see him interacting with Sennacherib there at Isaiah. And it's interesting. These major events kind of tell some of the themes. Uh, the flood is about judgment. The choice of Abraham is about salvation. Escape from Egypt is about salvation. The kingship of David is about salvation. The destruction of the northern kingdom is about judgment. The destruction of the southern kingdom is about judgment. The restoration under Zerubbabel and, and Ezra is about salvation. We see our themes here. The day of the Lord is sometimes a day when God comes to judge. And sometimes it's a day when he comes to save. But you know what? Every time God judges, he also saves. It's not the reverse is not true. It's not true that every time he saves, he also judges. But it's all it is true that every time he judges, he saves. In fact, if I were to add a theme of the Old Testament, another theme would be the remnant. In fact, just go back to your notes and even add that as another theme. One of the major themes of the Old Testament is the remnant. The idea that God is saving a remnant. A very, very uh, common theme throughout the Old Testament. Okay, other ways to kind of... Um, Language and authors. Uh, uh, so, uh, just another part of our uh, introduction here. The language of the Old Testament is what? Hebrew. Hebrew. And? Aramaic. Aramaic. All right, so parts of Ezra and parts of Daniel and Aramaic. There are a lot of authors. Yeah. It, it's, it's really quite amazing how many authors there are in the Old Testament, given that the themes are throughout. The themes are constant. They don't change uh, the, the message, although God presents the message in different ways through different people. So uh, it says in Hebrews, in the past, God spoke to us through, through our forefathers in various times, through various ways. It's true. It's amazing the variety of kinds of people that God used as authors. Yeah. All right? um, he used uh, poets. He used uh, uh, administrators. He used kings. He used um, judges. He used um, many different kinds of people. And, and each of these individuals that he chose to put together the Old Testament, kind of the message was geared to some extent towards that particular person. So in the book of Hosea, you see the theme of the grace of God. In Amos, you see the theme of social justice. In Isaiah, you see God's holiness. In the Psalms, you see God's heart through David. In Joel, you see God's judgment. Judgment, 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 okay? There's a little silver lining there. In Job, you see the, uh, God dealing with the question of suffering. And through Solomon, we see about God's wisdom. So there's many different aspects of God, and some of those are brought out more or less depending on the nature of the author, the Old Testament author. Great, so now we're ready to go into Genesis. How am I doing here? Okay, we're going to go probably about 20 minutes. 
All right, the book of Genesis. You know what Genesis means, right? It means beginning. That's correct. All right, so any questions kind of of our overview of the Old Testament? No? All right. Yes, God spoke through kings, patriarchs, poets, scribes, priests, prophets, prophetesses, government administrators, etc. All right. So let's talk about Genesis. Now, when you do, when you introduce a book, you generally talk about uh, who wrote it. So, if you had to guess who wrote Genesis, who would you guess wrote Genesis? Okay, you're almost certainly wrong. Well, I mean, God, but you can say it as it's kind of that's a bit of a cop out. Thank you for saying that. It's a bit of a cop out. Uh, probably Moses did not write Genesis um, because the material in there clearly, if as I read it. It comes from Mesopotamia. The setting of the book is in Mesopotamia. The the culture described is something that somebody living in Egypt around 1400 BC wouldn't even have access to this kind of information. All right. There, now the tradition is that Moses wrote Genesis, but where does it say in Genesis that that Moses is the author? In fact, where is there even a hint that he's the author? Could Moses have had a, a role in taking this material that had already been written and collecting it, putting it together? Could be. But the fact is, the book of Genesis wasn't complete until um, probably until the Jews entered the Promised Land. Well after that, in fact, because you can see some little editorial comments here and there that say, back in those times, and back in those times would be uh, you know, he's referring to somebody who lived after Moses. The bottom line is, we have no idea who wrote Moses. Uh, I, uh, sorry, who wrote Genesis. Thank you. Uh, most of the material that is in Genesis probably came through oral tradition that goes back to the time of Abraham and the patriarchs. And I say that not because, you know, you're supposed to. I say that because the evidence points in that direction. The, the culture, the, the, the details point to material that came from the time we're talking about. When uh, the book of Genesis kept, came into its final form, probably not until perhaps even as late as the time of Solomon or, or David. We don't really know. You can't really prove it one way or another, and I guess it doesn't really matter all that much. All right, so Genesis, the themes in Genesis are creation, fall, judgment, and God having a plan. God chooses a man through whom to send the Messiah. Really, Genesis is a brilliant and amazing introduction to the entire Bible. Every theme in the Bible is there. It's not like some other books that have a lot of one theme and not so much of another. All the themes of the Bible are there. Uh, they're there a lot, actually. All right, so here is uh, not survey of the Old Testament. Here's survey of the whole Bible. So here is uh, my outline of the entire Bible. Genesis 1, who is God? Genesis 2, who are we? Genesis 3 and 4, we messed up really badly. 
Genesis 5 through Revelation 20, God is fixing the problem. Amen. Revelation 21 and 22, God fixed the problem. That's my brief outline of the whole Bible. All right. Now, that's an interesting outline, but it, I think it does point out Genesis is a key book to really understanding the entire story. All right. Here's another version of it. Genesis 1, God created the entire universe and the earth, and it was very good. Genesis 2, God created human beings. Why? So we could have an intimate relationship with him and with one another. Genesis 3, we messed up very badly and we destroyed that relationship. By the way, another outline would be Genesis 3 through 11. Because really, Genesis 3 through 11, the, the curve, it kind of goes like this. The curve kind of goes like this to Genesis 11. And after Genesis 11, we just start doing this. So Genesis 12 essentially is the beginning of the story of fixing it. So that's why thinking of Genesis 1 through 11 as the prologue both to Genesis and to the entire Bible is very helpful. Genesis 1 through 11 as a prologue to the book of Genesis, which is primarily about Abraham and his descendants, or even thinking of Genesis 1 through 11 as a prologue to the entire Bible is very helpful. It's sort of like, <laughs> we're just going downhill. Wow. And then finally, Genesis 12, we start the Bible, you know, like, all right, it's, it's starting to turn back in the right direction. Another way of thinking about it. So where it says Genesis 3 and 4, you could say Genesis 3 through 11. And then it's Genesis 5 through 20. God is repairing the damage done by sin. Revelation 21 and 22, God's fixed the problem. We're back in the garden. Okay, I believe arguably the best picture of heaven is maybe not Revelation 21 and 22. The best picture of heaven may very well be Genesis 2. Amen. If you want to understand heaven. All right. Themes in Genesis. This is quiz, quiz, quiz. Right. Themes in Genesis. God, a loving creator. All right. Number two. The fall. All right, very important theme in Genesis. The fall. How sin separates us from God and kind of the nature of that thing. And then judgment. All right, judgment on, on Adam and Eve. Judgment on Cain. Judgment on the residents of Babel. Judgment on the whole world in the case of Noah. Judgment, judgment, judgment. And then, of course, the main theme, which is or the second major theme, which, which is God choosing a man of faith through whom to send the Messiah. The most important figure in Genesis is Abraham. Other than God, obviously. Yeah. And I, in my opinion, the most important person in the entire Old Testament, other than God and Jesus, I guess, is also Abraham. If you want to get the story... You have to get Abraham. Amen. Now, I, you know, I, David, yeah, for sure. Moses, yeah, definitely. But I'm telling you, it's Abraham. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that uh, during our class today. So the choice of Abraham and the beginning of the plan to fix the problem, that's a major thing yeah. in the book of Genesis. Okay? Now, this is an outline of the book. 
All right. Um, you, you know, you could probably have written this outline for yourself. You've probably read Genesis a few times, so I'm not going to spend all the time here. Uh, Genesis 1, creation. Genesis 2, three, 2 and 3, Adam and Eve and their fall. Ge- Genesis 4, Cain and Abel. Uh, then there's a lot of genealogy. I'm going to try to get you to be excited about genealogies. That's one of my jobs here, is to like yes. It's like you know the 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 Geico commercial where the guy you know the bag the grocery bag falls out. Yes, and the guy gets the tie cut. Yes, it's kind of like reading genealogies. Yes, yes, they're exciting. They are very exciting. Help us out, John. You got to know why though. Genesis six through nine, the flood. More genealogies, Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. All right, and Genesis 12 through 23 is the story of Abraham. 24 through 26, Isaac is interesting. Isaac's a minor figure. Interesting, Isaac is a minor figure. Uh, Genesis 27 through 35, Jacob. 37 through 47, Joseph. What happened to 48? Well, it's a minor thing with Tamar and all that. (coughs) And then Genesis 49, which is kind of like a, a summing it up, uh, a, a kind of the, God's last word to his people at the end of Genesis. And then the death of Jacob. The death of Jacob is a bigger thing than you might think. We don't talk much about the death of Jacob. All right, so now we're in Genesis. Now we're going to start to study the old... Hey, we're, this is great. We're going we're gonna to actually start to study the Old Testament. Genesis 1. Let's read Genesis 1, verse 1. Do I have my Bible here? That would, oh, yeah, there it is. Genesis 1, 1. Now, this is the most amazing verse ever. I mean, look at this start here. And John was smart to copy Genesis 1, 1 and, and John 1, 1. That's a pretty smart thing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you know how profound that is? First of all, in the beginning. What's that mean? There was a beginning. The Bible says there was a beginning. There was a time when there was nothing. Now, is that true? Second, I need a second opinion. Yeah, there was a beginning. Science even agrees with that. The universe is not eternal. Science tells us unambiguously that there was a creation from nothing. The fancy terminology is ex nihilo, which means from nothing. Why don't you say from nothing? If you say ex nihilo, you sound smart. If you say from nothing, you sound sort of normal. So that's why they say ex nihilo, from nothing. And we're going to talk about the Christian worldview. And and really, the Christian worldview is laid out in great detail and thoroughly right here. Genesis 1 through 3. At the end of those three chapters, you have now met God. And arguably, you know basically everything you ever need to know about God you can learn from it just in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. That is amazing. All right. So in the beginning, what's that tell us? There was a beginning. The beginning. All right. Next, in the beginning, God. That means God 
pre-exists the beginning, that God is the source of the beginning. In the beginning, God created. Hebrews 11.3, it says, By faith we know the things that were visible were created from things that were invisible. And then, and then Romans 1, 21 through 25, it says, given the facts about what we know about nature, it's obvious that God exists. And I certainly agree with that. And then in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So that could be he created the earth and the, the, the rest of the creation. Or it could mean he created the spiritual reality and the physical reality. I'm, I honestly don't know which one the author has in mind. All right. And, you know, there are other worldviews. There's other worldviews out there. We're in the post-Christian age. You kind of need to be able to interact with people who come from different worldviews. Naturalism, postmodernism, deism, pantheism, animism, dualism, and biblical theism. By the time you finish Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the only one left standing is deism or biblical theism. And deism is this whole thing that God created everything and let it go and left it on its own. So you've got to get all the way to Genesis chapter 2 and then deism is not there anymore. All right, but, the, but the cool thing is this creation story in Genesis is the one that's true. Every ancient culture had a creation story. But the Bible has a creation story that's true. Did you know that the Bible has myths? Yeah. True myths. See, a myth is a simplified story to explain to regular folks kind of a, a deep spiritual, you know, you know, supernatural truth. And there's lots of myths. Every culture has a creation myth. Every culture has a flood myth. Every culture has a God-man myth. But the difference is the biblical creation myth is the one that's actually true. The biblical flood myth is the one that's actually true. And the biblical God-man myth is the one that's actually true. Yeah? Just slightly off topic. Now, you studied science and all this. Mm-hmm. Is there there's proven evidence with that stuff? Well, I mean, you, you can't prove something that happened uh, 13 and a half billion years ago. In science, the best we could ever do is we can say, given all the evidence, this model is the one that explains it. And you could even say, in the case of the Big Bang, this is the only model that even comes close to even beginning to explain the observation. So that you, but you can't you can't use science to prove anything. Yeah. I mean, science doesn't involve proof. Science involves best inference based on the on the gathered evidence, best model to describe it. All right, and, and so, um, yeah, before the Big Bang, uh, the information led to the Big Bang, the expanding universe and background radiation. I don't want to get into that right now. Uh, before that, most physicists were in the continuous creation model or the, uh, uh, you know, the eternal universe model. All right, but they all turned out to be wrong. Those models are completely and utterly destroyed. Amen. The universe was created. It's not eternal. All right, now, whether the Big Bang is what actually happened, you know, it's, we don't have to worry, worry about that so much. All right, but it's sort of cool because think of Genesis 1 as a diatribe. Think of it as a polemic. Now, that's a big fancy word. A polemic is an argument directed against somebody else's position. 
And a diatribe is kind of like a sort of a argumentative uh, sort of debate style thing. And the diatribe and the and the polemic of Genesis one is against the Mesopotamian ideas about God or gods or the universe. Uh, the definition of a diatribe? I don't know about that. But to understand that Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is theology. It's not history. Now, I believe it has historical content, but the purpose of these chapters was not historical or scientific per se. Now, my understanding of these books is there's nothing there that contradicts anything I know from science. In fact, it just happens to agree with everything I happen to actually know about science. And it doesn't conflict with anything we know from history, although that's debatable given some of the whole anthropology stuff. All right, uh, but uh, the, the purpose here is to tell a story about God and to show that here's what all the other people say about God and it's totally wrong. So, and uh, again... Um, if you want to get a little bit more on this, we just finished doing a class on Genesis in the fall. I kind of go on and on and on about about the different creation stories and especially the Sumerian or the Akkadian creation story. I don't have time for that. But just let's just leave it at that for now anyway. This is a theological treatise and a polemic against the accepted worldviews. Yeah. Well, you said Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia, whatever that is. Yeah, that place, yeah. What was just in like a sentence, what was their view on God? Uh, polytheism. Okay. Yeah. And the, basically, according to them, humans were an afterthought. According to all of these ancient uh, mythologies, if you will, that, that the humans were just an afterthought and that the purpose of humans was to serve the gods. All right. And that's why they'd offer sacrifice to kind of feeding the gods or that kind of idea. So we're an afterthought. But in the biblical story, we are the purpose of creation. Mm. In the biblical story, the entire reason the universe even exists is for us. And it it takes their worldview and completely turns it on its head. Completely turns it on its head. So so if you understand some things he's trying to say, if if you understand the background... Uh, uh, for example, in Genesis 1, verse, I don't know, 10 or 11, instead of calling it the sun and the moon, he calls them lights. Mm. And he does that probably because, you know, he's trying to, because they worship the sun and the moon. Yeah. And, and they, they have them as gods, and they're just lights. Yeah. They're, they're, you know, their importance is Zippo, wow. nothing compared to wow. us. So again, the re- there's probably the reason he calls them lights or luminaries instead of the sun and the moon. The obvious thing to call them, I mean, hello. Yeah. The reason is because it's a polemic against their worldview. Okay, got it? So although these are the common worldviews, I mean, the specific worldview that's being uh, uh, opposed in Genesis is primarily this animism polytheism. Okay, got it? All right, so here's the Christian worldview. All right, and I, I want you to be able to kind of get this idea, the Christian worldview. Let's take a break, by the way, in about five minutes. Okay, we, uh, we go about an hour and five minutes. Take a long, rather than two short breaks, we'll take a longer break of, of at least ten minutes, maybe fifteen. All right. So anyway, 
Uh, so uh, let me leave this screen. Uh, this would be a good pr- exercise for you to do, with, but it's, I'm going to mess it up by, by putting my version of it, is to ask, ask you or ask yourself to give, say, a five, six, seven, eight-part outline. This is the biblical view of reality. Okay? Just according to the Bible, what is true about reality more broadly? That's, that's the biblical worldview. That's what a worldview is. It's a picture to explain reality. It's a lens through which you explain and take in information and process it and then use it in order to decide how to live your life, essentially. All right? And I believe the biblical worldview is laid out Point one, point two, point three, point four, point five, point six, point seven, right there in Genesis one, two, and three. So this is my particular take on the Christian worldview. First of all, the physical world is real; it's created out of nothing, and it's good. Uh, certainly, um, our our um, pantheists don't agree with that. Our dualists don't agree with that. Our polytheists don't agree with that. Our postmodernists, this, this, this idea is unique to the Christian worldview. The only worldview that would make these statements, or the Jewish worldview, or even arguably, I suppose, the Muslim worldview would probably agree with this first point here. Wouldn't agree with all these points, but most of these. And the cool thing is, it's true. It's true. The, the creation is very good. First of all, it is created. It was created out of nothing. And it's all good. Now, is the universe all good? No. But is creation all good? Yes. Well, that creates a problem, right? We, we need a worldview that's consistent with two things, which is the creation is good. But the world we live in is not all good. And I believe the Christian worldview is the only one that can answer this dichotomy, this difficult question, in a way that makes sense. It's the only one that can. All right. Number two, there's both a spiritual and a physical reality. But the physical is created, therefore is is lesser than the spiritual reality, which is greater. And that God is the creator of both of those realities. Number three. Number four, we are both physical and spiritual. But our spiritual nature is more essential. We're created in God's image. Correct. So we are, God is not physical. He's only spiritual. We are both physical and spiritual. But our spiritual nature is more essential to us. It defines what we are. Uh, Number five, we could list these qualities that God has. Holiness, uh, 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 judgment, love, those things. And number six, uh, the, the physical creation is evil, but because God gave free will, And because of rebellion, evil came into existence. Number seven, God therefore will judge because one of his traits is holiness. One of his traits is justice. So God will judge those who've corrupted the good that he created. And last of all, the solution to this is the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus. All that is in the first three or four chapters of Genesis. All of it is there. If you're having trouble keeping up, it's okay because you just look in the notes, look in the PowerPoint. But I'd like you to be able to, you know, you don't have to repeat every single point here, but I'd like to be able to, you know, in a few quick
bullet points, if you will, kind of describe the, the Christian view of reality. But the point here is, this is all in Genesis 1. I mean, if you look at it, all of this absolutely is in Genesis chapter 1. Yeah? Um, in number 5, it says, God is a person. Uh, what does that mean? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, what, what is a person? Uh, a self-aware entity? A self-aware, separate, discrete entity? In Hinduism, it's not even clear if persons are real in Hinduism. Persons are an illusion. Really? Yes. I mean, that, that, that's, Maya is an illusion. The reality is this Brahman, this universal soul. Yeah? So then it can't be said that all humans are created? What do you mean by that? God is definitely not human. Person. Yes. For example, I, I, I believe angels are persons. They, they are self-aware, separate entities that exist. All right, got it? Hmm? Yeah, Jesus is unique. He's kind of, he's uh, not like any other person, that's for sure. All right. All right. So what does God do in Genesis chapter one? What does God do in Genesis chapter one? Let, let, let's get the big picture. Let's not get caught up in the days and what happened on day one, day three, day six, because I believe the intent of the author is not to have you pay too much attention to which what happened on any given day. I'm pretty sure that's not the main thing that's going on here. All right. So what happens in Genesis 1? God, first of all, God creates something out of nothing. Second of all, God creates order out of chaos. That's a key thing that's happening in Genesis. Things that were mixed become separate. For example, we separate light from darkness. The, the air from the land and the water from the air in the land. God creates distinctions. He creates separation between things. And this separation really agrees with this con- concept of God as a God of holiness, of, of separateness. He, creates, he separates light from dark, water from earth, from sky, living from non-living, Male from female, good from evil, even soul from spirit. God creates distinctions. He creates form where there was chaos. He creates differences where there was mixing. God is a God of essentially, in some ways, black and white in in, in that sense. And then he names things. Mm -hmm. He names things. And so he shows his power over those things. By naming them. And then he, um, in Genesis 2, he delegates his authority, right? He delegates his authority. So he uh, states his authority in Genesis 1, and then in Genesis 2, he delegates that authority. That's the big picture. And if you don't have that picture, then get looking at all the details, day 6, day 5, uh, that's really, you're, you're missing it. You, you want to get the picture. All right? And the, the, the world wants to blur these distinctions, male and female, good and evil. I don't know if they want to blur living and non-living, 
But the, the world wants to kind of take what God separated and join them together. Hmm? I, I, yeah, you could even go for that. You could even talk about that perhaps. All right. And, and then in Genesis 11 through 25, God creates life. Talk about order out of disorder. What could have more order to it than, than a living thing? All right. It's quite an organized kind of thing. And then in Genesis 1, 26 and 30, God creates mankind in his own image. That is so awesome. That is so awesome. What does it mean that we are in God's image? What is the meaning? When we say, when God says we are created as an image, what does that mean? Does he have nose hairs? Does he have, dare I say, genitalia? No. Is he male or female? No. So help me out then. How, how are we in God's image? Yes. What, what do you mean by that? Um, like his nature. Like he maybe has given his heart to that. All right. So we have those emotions that God has. Our, our emotional makeup mirrors God's emotional makeup. That's a, that's a good answer. Yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> well, okay, this is going to sound a little abstract. I, part of me feels like uh, there is some type of, physicalness of God that we we obviously don't understand and perceive because am I off on that? I'm pretty sure you are because uh, <laughs> I mean it, I always I, unless, I just imagine God okay like if, if he were like the little like parts of him and then uh, he's you know he talks about the, the angels in heaven and they have like wings and things like All that right. um, well John 1 says everything that has been created has been created through him so everything that exists was created by him, which means he pre-exists everything. And so if there was a physical thing, if God was physical, that would seem to contradict that. I, yeah. you know, I, well, I don't know. All right. Well, maybe you're right. I'll, I'll just I'll just say maybe you're right. Yeah. What about some of the scriptures where he says, like, you know, I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. Like, mm-hmm. where he talks oh, that's speaking metaphorically, of course. Yeah, but we're getting away from the question. Thank you for steering us away from our question, Evan. Yeah. The question is, in what sense are we in the image of God? What uh, is it about okay. God that we have that, say, oh. dogs and, and cats don't have? So, uh, right, go ahead. Yeah, so I was going to say like a soul, like a conscience. Uh, uh, that's two different things. Uh, so we are self-aware. Yeah, we have many of the qualities of God. Isn't that what it's saying? Uh, we are, I mean, dare I say this, don't write it down and don't quote me, but little g, we are little g gods. Little, little Jesus. All right, in, in a sense, because enough of the qualities that God has that we have, I mean, we don't want to say it that way. In fact, I, I wouldn't say that in a sermon probably because it would be confusing. But I, I'm asking specific. Though. I want us to be more specific here. What are the qualities and traits that God has that we have? Yes. It would love be specific? Yes, the ability to give and receive love. Hello. What, 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 yeah. The ability to create. Right. We are creators. Mm-hmm. We create things out of we t- create something out of nothing, not physically, not physically, but we create things. 
We create books and cultures. and Yes, we are creators. Yes. We naturally have distinctions. All right, yes. Good point. What else? We have a desire to uh, know more things. All right, yeah. We're, yeah. We have passions for different things. Passion, like God is, yeah. Yes, we are sovereign. Now, not sovereign over everything, right? right? The sovereignty we have is delegated sovereignty. But when God delegates sovereignty, he's serious about it. So we have free will. All right? Yeah. What about our ability to like create life or to create, have new, like to have children? And All right. We, yeah, we are, we are creators in a much less... I mean, but... I don't think life, because dogs and cats can do that as well, and fish, and you know. Funny. This is a separate question. Like, what does that have? A, like, how does that play into our human nature to be able to continue on, to pass on our mm-hmm. our genes, to pass on our? I, I don't know, but our our desire to have children mimics God's desire to have children. I would say, yeah. Well, that's kind of what I was going to say. Like, it, that we are relational. Right. You could probably argue that's the most important quality that God has that we have as well. We're relational. Now, dogs are relational too, but in a very limited way. Okay, great. All right, good. So God blessed them. In verse 28, in Genesis 1.28, it says, He blessed them. That was His plan. I mean, God just wanted them to be blessed, to have the things that He wanted to give them. But unfortunately, in Genesis 3, they said, you know what? What God has given us, it's not enough. We want more. But what we really need right now is a break. So we're going to take a break. God, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. John, can we get like 20 minutes? Yeah, 20 minutes. 20 full minutes. Even if you're really fast, you could even go out and buy something. I was reading the scripture. No, I'm good. I was reading the scripture and it was really encouraging.